This podcast is brought to you by Alliance Motor Auctions. Has your car shit itself? Then you've got to go with Alliance. It's the easiest way to buy a quality car at a very competitive price. Located in Moorbank, New South Wales. Call 02-9822-7200 or visit www.allianceauctions.com.au South Coast Window Furnishings. Have your window furnishings shit themselves? Then you've got to get in touch with SCWF. They service the south coast of New South Wales from Wollongong to Bermagui. Give Jamie a call for a free quote on 0408 812 007 or like them on Facebook at South Coast Window Furnishings. Elite Sports Physiotherapy. Has your back or another part of your body shit itself? Then look no further than ESP. Established in 2006, Elite Sports Physiotherapy provides physiotherapy and massage services to the people of Melbourne. Located on the mezzanine level, 13-15-1 Freshwater Place in Southbank, Melbourne. Give them a call on 03-8640-0328 or visit elitesportsphysio.com.au today. Also, special thanks to verse.com.au for putting the finishing touches on this podcast. Cheers. Hello there. Thanks for listening. My guest this week is actor, comedian and part-time choreographer, Nikki Britton. After a few years of hard work, Nikki's really starting to kick some goals on stage and screen, and we caught up in country New South Wales while on tour to talk about that. This is Taking It Easy with Daniel Connell. Nikki Britton, thanks for taking it easy with me today. How are you? I'm good, mate. How are you? Yeah, I'm pretty bloody good. We are currently sitting in the McCure, downtown Orange, New South Wales, yeah. uh, on tour for the Melbourne International Comedy Festival Roadshow. Um, it's about, I'd say it's about four degrees outside. Um, yeah, I mean, it, oh. technically four. Feels like about minus 12. But, <laughs> yep, she's frosty. Yeah. We're rugged up, nonetheless. And it is middle of the day, mind you. Keep that in mind. It is. It's, it's 1.30 in the afternoon and I can S- see my breath. <laughs> <laughs> Sun's out, not a cloud in the sky. Yeah. But oh. The coldest place on earth. But a lovely place, Orange. Do visit sometime. <laughs> uh, how do you like the touring side of stand-up comedy? I really love it. I love it for the kind of relationships that you make with other comedians. Yeah. There's nothing really like... Being on the road with each other and sharing stories and sharing podcasts mm. and mucking around and that side of it is really, really nice. Mm-hmm. And, of course, like getting to these areas, particularly this week and last week, we've been touring through New South Wales, regional New South Wales, that I don't know if all your listeners would know but is so affected by drought at the yeah. moment. Isn't and it? it's just like dry and grey and and brown and like, you know <laughs> – Obviously, we're not doing brain surgery or anything mm. with the work that we're doing, but it is kind of nice to feel like you're out there and yeah. a few really grateful farmers and yeah. people from the community have been like, we really needed this laugh, guys. So, yeah. that's the, been really nice. Yeah. The drought has been on the news. Like we know that there's parts of Australia in drought, but yeah. you don't – I you go, oh, that's no good, but you don't really see it or think about it until you're there. Like once we were yeah. there the other day and – we spoke to a farmer after the Inverell show and he said they get 750 mils of rain a year and they'd mm. had 75 mils yeah. for half this year. Like that is yeah. 
Like, and you could tell they were, you know, just praying for rain. Absolutely. But also appreciated a bit of a laugh. Yeah, and there's been towns that, you know, there's just really, you can feel the weight of it, you mm. know. Even, yeah. Even um, just being in the town, it's like, yeah, it was. Mm. Signs mm. with the, you know, the drinking water. You Did you go to that town? There was a town just recently where there was. Tenterfield, yeah. yeah there were signs all over the theatre backstage in the dressing room saying, Tenterfield will run out of water in 200, 200 days. Yeah. So just be really water-wise. 200 mm. days. And, you know, stories of farmers. We were in, um, I think it was Corindai, and a guy came back and sort of said, oh, in, in interval, mm. <laughs> and said, you know, we really needed this laugh. Most of the farmers here have had to shoot all of their livestock just so they don't die of dehydration. Uh, so, you know, there's a very good chance we're all just going to have to call on insurance and hope for the best as we watch our farms sort of just fall apart around oh, us. Right, anyway, yeah. um, good luck with the second half, guys. Oh, Thanks no. so much. Like, Had you been on yet? Luckily I had. <laughs> a lot of pressure on a farm. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, like, yeah, I mean, you don't always have those stories. Sometimes mm. it's just really nice. To make an audience of people laugh who don't mm. always have big shows coming through or big festivals that they can head mm. down to. So I do love touring. Look, sometimes my neck and my back. Don't? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As you get on in life and yeah. you're in a different bed every night. Yeah. You never, younger you can do that, no dramas. But yeah. yeah, once you hit into those 30s and. Yeah. Yeah, different beds every night. You just start to notice it. Yeah, and you sort of hit one in four is an absolute ripper and you can just sink into it and away you go. But, yeah, there's a few that – we've stayed a few quests, which are quite nice. They're good. This McCure one we're in, we're looking at it now. It looks all right. Lovely. It's got a bit of bounce there. Plush. But we have stayed in a couple of real (laughs) – real. probably rather sleep on the floor. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) so that side of touring can get a little bit tedious and, you know – I think sometimes the other night I found myself, as soon as we got into the Wi-Fi, obviously everyone's like, oh, yeah. The first few days you're like, I'll download my shows. (laughs) And then I found myself just Googling, and I am in no way domestic, but I was Googling um, recipes for potato and leek soup (laughs) just because like the idea of being in my own home and having enough time to really like let a soup yeah. marinate on the stovetop yeah. was just like porn yeah. to me. Sleep in. Sleep in. Nowhere st- to be. Oh. Chop your leek up. Chop, chop your oh, potato up. Just with, with great <laughs> d- calm and just nowhere to – no alarms. Yeah. It would, yeah. So that's what I'm going to do. It's a, such a rock and roll lifestyle being yeah. a comedian on tour. <laughs> it's like, so you go out drinking every night? No, actually we – just really want a comfy bed and in fact, to get home and have a nice soup, to be honest. Yeah, a nice soup. In <laughs> fact, in Tamworth, the other night we had a competition as to who could get into bed first. <laughs> <laughs> we gave a little time, didn't we? 10.30pm if we're in bed. Yeah. This is a perfect night. <laughs> Cup of tea in the room. <laughs> we don't want to dash everyone's kind <laughs> <Yeah>. of <laughs> ideas about how rock and roll this is. But, um, geez, we really love our sleep also. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, you are based in Sydney? Yeah. Uh, and you grew up in Sydney as well? I did, yeah. What part? Sort of the northern beaches, which Ooh. is, yeah, that is the sound associated <laughs> with the northern beaches these days. But when I was there, it was like um, when we were growing up, it was where you lived because you couldn't afford anywhere else. Really? In Sydney. Well, yes. I guess like, it's a fair there's way the, out of Sydney. There's the North Shore. I think a lot of people get confused with the North Shore and the northern beaches. Mm. Look. 
I'll be honest, it is not, you know, we we were incredibly lucky. I'm so mm. grateful that I grew up there. You know, I'm, we didn't, we weren't in poverty. I'm, you know, we were very, very lucky. But the North Shore is like sort of Pimble and St Ives and that kind of side of things is very old money. Yeah. And, um, yeah, very kind of wealthy area. But the beaches were really sort of like, you know, tradies and, and young families just trying to kind of make ends meet and, um, yeah, really kind of knockabout kind of characters. Right. I remember always growing up and it was – it kind of reminds me of being out here. Right. A little bit. You know, like it very much had a small town feel and it didn't feel like growing up in a city. And now when I visit those areas, I definitely go, oh, yeah. Oh, I see how this has changed. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time – I've ended up back near there. Yeah. Not not right there in the Were, were you close to the beach? No, we were like a place called a Lambie. Right. So it was like quite a few suburbs back from the beach. Yeah. But not quite North Shore. Mm. It's kind of just suburbia in the middle of middle of that stuff. And you've got one sister? One older sister? Yeah. Yep. And good mates growing up? Yeah. Good mates growing up. In fact, I'm next weekend going to the wedding. Of a friend I met at preschool. Is that right? Which sounds incredibly parochial. <laughs> <laughs> but um, like obviously, you know, you go to you go to preschool and primary school and we're really good friends and we went to high school and we were in different groups and mm. most of your twenties you you grow apart, you go, mm. you do things. We wouldn't have spoken for years at a time. But then when you do, you have a sort of shared history and yeah. um we've come back into each other's life in the last few years and yeah, I'm gonna go and She's her whole family's from Greece, and um, she's having a ceremony and a wedding here, and then she's going back to her island of Catalonia yeah. in Greece, and where um, I'm going to hopefully go back, and we're going to have a big wedding lunch over there as well. Oh, look out! And then, yeah. would you reckon you'll have a nap and a bit of fruit after lunch as well? I'll hundred uh, percent preschool we'll in bed by ten thirty though. <laughs> oh right, <laughs> <laughs> I'll have it. <laughs> oh yeah, primary school absolutely. Yeah, well preschool. Preschool, yeah. I remember, have good memories of preschool, the after lunch nap. The little nap, in fact. On your little mattress. We we used to have kind of little swag beds and I remember holding Angie's hand as we fell asleep. Oh, yeah, that's nice. So that's pretty nice. It was meant to be that you'd come back and go to her wedding in Greece, get a holiday out of that. Yeah. And yeah, a bunch of people I went to high school with were still, um, we're still, if not super close, all of us, you know, Mm. there's still acquaintances and stuff, so. It's nice. What were you, the Alambi? What was your crew called? Oh, Alambi, Alambi Heights Primary School. We were downtown because the school was in the Heights, Alambi Heights. Okay. And every, when everyone says Alambi, they're like, oh, yeah, Alambi Heights, Alambi Heights. Not in the Heights, mate. We were downtown. <laughs> right at the bottom of the hill. Right. Just mucking around. Yeah. Um, we actually lived a few doors down from the National Park. So we used to just every afternoon, we'd. Go for a bushwalk. The bush, oh, yeah, great. really Cubbies nice. And cubby houses and cubby things. houses. Yeah. We used to have this big rock called Tribal Rock after the Lion King, <laughs> and we'd go out there and just you know just act talk about yeah, hundred percent. <laughs> act out Lion King, act out Babysitters Club, <laughs> act out Blossom, everything. Yeah, yeah, just Excellent. with our twelve-year-old. <laughs> um, Do you ever act out Ship to Shore, mate? One of my best friends from high school's nickname is Kelvin Crump. What? Because she has red hair. Really? Yeah. What a great afternoon TV show that was. And Australian made. 
Oh, I can't whistle. My lips are so dry from the country. <laughs> I was going to give you a rendition of the opening credits. <laughs> what? Oh, I love that. If you, oh, so I think you can still watch it on YouTube. If yeah. You, if you're listening and you're too young to remember Ship to Shore or maybe too old to remember Ship to Shore, have a look at it. Yeah. It's, it's worth it. Hermes and Darkest, one of the great oh. one of the great uh, villains, ba- villains yeah. of Cersei Island. <laughs> <laughs> you um, know what? Yeah, go on. I was at a wedding, a friend's yeah. wedding last year. Yep. And they had a tiki bar where you could um couples could go in and serve for tw- 20 minutes as the, you know, cute. be the bar bartenders oh, for 20 cute. minutes just so you could meet guests and get to mingle with other that's people a great as they come idea. and got a gin or, you know, whatever. And I'm serving and Hermes and Darkus came up Stop to the it. bar. And I was like, "You Hermes and Darkus?" He's like, "Yeah." <laughs> I was like, holy shit. What was the connection yeah. to the bride and groom? Uh, he was a friend of the bride. Yeah, the acting, actors. Oh. Yeah. yeah. I still call him, I sh- probably shouldn't have called him Hermes. Hermes. Darkus, but he was very nice. <laughs> the full uh, name for yeah. the entire evening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hermes. Did you ever get amongst Round the Twist? Yeah. Yeah, as well. I didn't like it as much as Ship to Shore. I, I, I'm not, I've never been into the yeah. far-fetched sort of yeah. seeing ghosts and goblins and things. Yeah. But yeah. Um, I did like that. Theme song, definitely. Oh, have you ever, mm. ever felt like this? Yeah. Paul Jennings. Good, good yeah. times. All, read, all those books growing up, that, yeah. was the, that was what you read Absolutely. in the 90s, wasn't it? Uh, were you well behaved at school? Mm. You, primary school, very much. Mm. Well, no, that's a lie. <laughs> I mean, I feel like I was always – I did all my work and it – you know, I got – I was a real perfectionist, like, yeah. you know, would get good grades and things. But mm-hmm. then um, was just also did not love a rule. Yeah. Wasn't a big fan of a silly you know rule. I know you sort of acting was something you wanted to when you were young. Yeah. But stand-up as well. A lot of stand-ups I've spoken to don't like bosses or like authority. It's a very common Interesting. trend why you end up in a job where you're – your own yeah. boss almost, you know. And and I'm I kind of respect people in those positions if they respect me. Mm. But if you're yes. in a position of authority Absolutely. and you're sort of wielding some kind of power trip yeah. thing, mm. ooh. That's gotta go both ways, hasn't it? I, I had bosses in different jobs when I moved to Melbourne, like call centre jobs and things, just yeah. taking the piss. Yeah. Like just I don't need this. Yeah. Absolutely not. And I'm more than like I'll be part of a team. Let's all work together. Mm. Common goal, 100%. Yeah. And someone's got to lead us. So, yeah, sure, mate. Yeah. Yeah. Go on, be the director. <laughs> be everything we need you to be. But you got to like respect it back. Yeah. And pull your weight as yeah. well. Um, yeah. So, yeah, you, you rebelled a little bit in high school? A little bit. I just didn't have a lot of – exactly that. I just didn't have a lot of patience for – for like teachers that were just mean or yeah. or didn't kind of treat you with I, I don't know, I, I guess growing up maybe our families always respected childhood, mm-hmm. like respected children and yeah. respected children's thoughts and opinions and yeah. kind of given weight to that. I didn't feel like teachers respected us until we were in year twelve. Yeah, I, I totally. did feel, yeah, until I was in year twelve I they Spoke to you like adults finally, and you're like, I kind of wanted that a couple of years ago. Yeah, too. totally. Yeah. And I think, I mean, not that, not that my family were like, yes, you crazy little thing, go and <laughs> now you run the castle or anything like that. But like, 
my grandfather and my uncle and and it yeah a lot of my kind of all of my grandparents really mm. I would remember sitting down and having conversations with them that weren't you know deeply analytical or anything yeah. like that but they indulged our way of thinking yeah. enough that I felt respected and then yeah. you go to school and you'd be cooped up in a room with you know 29 other people who were and I just I just remember thinking Think you're so sassy yeah. with your chalk on the board up yeah. the front, mate. <laughs> Calm you, your tits. <laughs> did your grades change then once you – because I know mine definitely did. Once I – I was pretty good up until about 15. Right. And then once house parties started to come into my yeah. life, um, more of an interest in girls. Yeah. And- <laughs> oh, I love them. I'm Sorry, I was just – People can't see the face you just pulled. <laughs> Um, Sorry, I really painted 15-year-old yeah. Daniel as a real <laughs> lech there little too. little creep, yeah. yeah. I was very shy but, um, yeah, and grades started to slip a little bit, yeah. enjoy yourself a little bit more. Um, yeah. Did you do drama? I did drama in year like eight and nine and then again I was like, you're taking the piss. Mm-hmm. So I just stopped doing it because it felt like, you know, as we all know, drama can be that subject that you do because – you don't want to do anything yeah. that's going to really push you. And it just felt like, yeah, it just kind of felt like a bit of a waste of time. Like yeah. I wasn't really there to be like, okay, now we've got to <laughs> – which I appreciate all of those drama games now and really enjoy playing them. But like yeah. it just felt like a term full of bullshit, you yeah. know. So I didn't do that like later in high school. And then I, I got quite sick around 14, 15 and I couldn't – I was off school for about – three months and then on and off for a few months Mm -hmm. after that. And so I didn't repeat or anything, but all of the subjects that I was doing, I didn't fall behind, but I had a different perspective on. Mm -hmm. So I um, also started probably getting even sassier (laughs) at that point. (laughs) And I remember saying to my like year 11, year 12 maths teacher, Mrs. Binstead, and I would – that was in the days when you had – the HSC, UAI, and you had 12 units mm-hmm. and we all knew only 10 of them counted. Yeah, yeah. And I was doing two-unit maths and I I knew that having had that time off and not fully grasping like calculus and stuff like that that were mm. – I was just like, you know what, write it off, show up, do the be in the class. Yeah. And I would sit at the back of the class and do my biology homework <laughs> and Mrs. Binstead would get furious and I would be like, babe, calm down, don't worry – like I just know these these units aren't going to count. Yeah. I'm not interrupting anyone. Instead, <laughs> I'm not pulling focus. Just you do your job. I'll do mine back here. It's yeah. all right. And like that is rude. <laughs> On reflection, that is so rude. Yeah. But she was like, I and I actually said to her one day, if you can give me a career that I will need calculus in at this <laughs> level, then I will do my work. <laughs> like if it's a career that I really. And she said, all right. What about a civil engineer? My dad is a civil engineer and (laughs) he is an incredibly smart man and in many ways a really great man but there is absolutely no fucking chance I'm going to be a civil engineer. (laughs) And I think she just sort of – she triggered something in me that I was like, ah, get fucked instead, there's no way. And so I just absolutely um, stopped trying in mass. And then I, you know, like I did end up doing really well in the HSC and despite – Despite and the two units of maths were not 
I don't, they, they didn't count. Yeah, right. I, I don't think I even got a score in HSE. In the end. I, cho- I think I did eight or something. Maybe you could do – Oh, yeah. You could choose to not even do – Don't even get amount. a UAR. Yeah. yeah. My maths was very similar and yeah. our teacher would go and read the paper in the library or go for a cigarette for, oh. for most of the lesson. He'd write a page on the board for us to look at and then just off, oh. off he'd pop for a Far dart. less invested yeah. than Vincent. <laughs> we got him a case of beer – at the end of year 12, we, wow. and we took the beer to his desk in the school. And he's like, boys, what are you doing? No, you can't have this in here. Then he gave us the keys to his car. He's like, go put, put it in the boot. <laughs> <laughs> Pop it in the boot. Yeah. What a champion. Uh, what about after school? Did you uh, – any uni or anything? Well, I got into uni. I got into the course that I wanted to do and everyone sort of was like, wow, that's a really – well-regarded course, you should definitely do that because your life could be great. And then I didn't do it because um, I wanted to be an actor, what much to the, the chagrin of my hey. What was the course? It was it was medicine and, and my, you know, family were like, oh, this is great. And yes. obviously yeah. everyone at school was like, this is well done. But I just, at that point in my life, had spent too long in hospitals and, and I, I just wanted to be, I just didn't want to do it. Mm. There was just, it just felt too clinical and... Yep. And sort of heady. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I just always wanted to be an actor. And then it took me another three years before I actually went to acting school. Four years. And then when I graduated three years, three, the three-year course, my dad was like, well, well done. Now you've uh, got a certificate that could say you maybe you'll uh, earn, earn enough money to own your own cab one day. So <laughs> that's what he said at graduation day. In a very dry kind of humorous way. Yeah. But, look, you know, it is nice. Now someone's paying me to stay in the the uh, gorgeous bed of the McEwa yeah. Hotel Orange, Orange yeah. and I can feel like I've kind of… I hope he's listening to this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, in that time before you graduated from acting school, what, what jobs did you do? Oh, okay. So I went straight – I did um, a diploma of remedial massage therapy. Okay. So… Is that a six, 12 months one? Six, it six? was six months mm. intensive. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I was 18 and I remember, like, I loved the body mm. from having been sick and then kind of having this whole real respect mm. for the body and understanding how it all worked and the systems. And so I was, I was kind of medically minded, but mm-hmm. I knew that I didn't want to do medicine. Yeah. And so massage therapy. People. I wanted to touch people. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to be paid to touch people, yeah. which is... <laughs> Halfway between what they used to call acting yeah. and um, <laughs> the artist profession and uh, and medicine, but um, we did I did massage therapy and then I yeah did that for a year. I did personal training. I became a personal trainer. I really yeah I was quite. What were you, what were you like as a personal trainer? Um, ineffective in as much as I didn't do it much, but right. it also part of the course was aerobics instruction and aqua aerobics instruction okay. and stuff like that. Yeah. So that's kind of the direction that I more took it in. And I was quite a prolific aqua aerobics instructor really? for a period of, oh yeah. So were you? I was in high um, demand. The oldies loved me. Yeah? Yeah. All <laughs> oh, right. And is that where you've got a lot of your, because you do act outs on stage now. Of, yeah. And you've got a character where you play. An elderly lady. An elder lady, yeah. yeah. Is that where you got a lot of those ideas from? I guess it probably all 
os- osmotically yeah, gets yeah. in there somewhere. Yeah. I feel like I've always been drawn to older people. Yeah. Um, I was – my grandparents both sets had a huge hand in raising me and I think mm-hmm. I've just kind of – Adopted a lot of yeah. that kind of. Yeah. Um, You'll often just break into an elderly lady's voice, <laughs> just in general, like conversation or observation. Or, yeah. yeah. And yeah. I don't mean to. I was saying just last night, I feel like this too has made me a bit more sort of like, yeah, on the country, out here in the fresh air. I don't mean to at all. Um, but yeah, that's probably my both sets of grandparents mm. had a significant. Spent a, a lot of their life in the country and yeah. I think that's kind of where all of that comes from. But definitely teaching the old birds in aquarobics was a lot of fun for me. Mm. Did you use that as a, a chance to maybe act a little bit and, and play a character that wasn't you? Like, in, like in, in either your personal training or your yeah, aquarobics? I think so. I think yeah. like instructing a class in a, like in a fitness way mm. is definitely – a certain kind of performance. Yeah. I think. Absolutely. You're in yeah. front of a – you've got a crowd. And yeah. They love a laugh if you can get a love few a gags laugh. in yeah. there. throw yeah. it in. A bit of animation. Totally. Really, yeah. I um, I taught dancing as well. I was used to dance quite, quite a bit and taught dancing to – and which ended up – A type of dancing or just like – um, yeah, well, ballet, jazz, tap mostly. Yeah. Not that I was proficient at ballet or tap really <laughs> at all. I did a few like jobs as a dancer, jazz-wise, kind of like hip-hoppy, funky jazz, mm. you know, but yeah. early 2000s styles, yeah. you know. To like a backdrop of NSYNC playing or something like that? Like, yeah, a little bit of that, yeah. a bit of that, yeah. yeah. Um, Backing music? Yeah, all the good stuff. The E17 or something like that? Ooh, House of Love did feature. A um, <laughs> bit of En Vogue. Oh, yeah. Yeah, En Vogue got in there, definitely. Um, but I – you would choreograph a lot doing that stuff and then I ended up kind of falling into choreography and doing a various few jobs choreographing a couple of like musicals here and there and then working at Disneyland choreographing a portion of their parade. <laughs> what? Yeah. What? <laughs> so, what year was this? <laughs> Did this take you just, you just? I was mass. I was yeah teaching elderly ladies aquarobics. It's been a real colourful life. Now you're life. in Disneyland. Yep, that was 2008. Right. Um. So it's kind of like that's post your your um acting course. You graduated graduated yep. acting, then went because I was teaching dance the whole time I was at acting school, and then yep. this gig. It was kind of with a so you took groups of people. Over to be part of the parade, so it was mm-hmm. like a job that I got in Australia. Wow! But choreographing for the parade in Anaheim in LA, so yeah, and in, and in the parade, performing in the parade as well. Wow! So yeah. what did you what who did you have to choreograph? Have you got Mickey or Minnie in there? Or have you got Goofy? I didn't. It's a very big parade, mm. so it's a so very they'd, very they'd be long the front. I'm guessing there's a se- yeah, there's several choreographers kind of covering different. Parts, different mm. sections. Um, real bizarre, though, showing up kind of in a hangar full of varying aged dancers <laughs> who, I mean, some kids, like some proper yeah. kids who are in there, yeah. but like very much the, the Mouseketeers <laughs> and they've got their pom-poms and they're doing all this stuff and just like the, just from your nightmares, yeah, like right. really just – is it the same sort of thing that 
Justin Timberlake and Britney down? Is that the I guess, but they I'm, would come in, they would have been on the floats. Right. These okay. are the kids that didn't make the Mouseketeers. <laughs> <laughs> um, these are the kids. The I don't, there's a show called Dance Mums. I don't know if you've ever seen scraps. that. Yeah. <laughs> dance Mums. Oh, yeah, I've they seen could, Dance yeah. Mums. Yeah. They're the ones, if they're lucky, they chuck them in a goofy suit and yeah, they can okay, just yeah. do some. Um, but yeah, the show Dance Mums. And they would have like an ensemble, a group of dancers mm-hmm. that this was if you had maybe 200 group of those groups in yeah. one hangar right. with pom-poms and lycra and glitter and the dance mums all kind of shouting over each other. Saying, Take it from the top, girls. <laughs> like just unbelievable. And you're in there telling them what there. to do. So yeah, you, you have to keep that pretty basic, wouldn't you, for that many people? Yeah, I wasn't teaching all 200 people. Oh, okay. So I was just teaching like – so there's several parts to the parade and because it's like a progressive thing, the music changes throughout. So mm-hmm. it's kind of hard to describe but you – it's it's like a um, well-timed situation. So the people who are at the front of the parade, because it takes about half an hour to walk from the beginning to the end, the people at the beginning of the parade will have a certain – song mm-hmm. and so for half an hour their songs will go in a certain order okay. but then if you are at the end of the parade you start half an hour after everyone else so your soundtrack is different yep and so there is certain yeah different things in the choreography sounds like an absolute I don't think, nightmare yeah, put together <laughs> like it's a bit of a sort of mathematical yeah um precise did you think that that could be your career at that point if you were doing something that big choreography um yeah, uh, look, I still I still miss choreography. Mm. I think probably somewhere in my mind, I always knew I'd never be a professional dancer, right? Because well, just because I'm born in the body, I'm born in a bit, right. which is just which is I'm very lucky to have two working arms, two working legs. Mm. But you know, I'm much more voluptuous than your average ballerina, mm. um, and so I think. Choreography was something that I always really enjoyed but wasn't necessarily me doing the dancing. So that was a nice little like sidebar. Yeah. But because I'd already been to acting school, the acting thing was yeah. kind of always going to take over. And that drew you back, yeah. back in? Yeah, I think so. Um. You're listening to Taking It Easy with Daniel Connell. Hey, before we go back to the podcast, I want to tell you about someone. That someone is Melbourne-based photographer Nicole Reed. One of the most sought-after photographers going around, Nicole has taken photos for all sorts of people. Comedians like Peter Hellyer and Anne Edmonds, musical acts like the Hilltop Hoods, and sports stars like Buddy Franklin. If you want to see how great her work is, I suggest you head over to her Instagram page. It's Nicole Reed Photographer. While you're at it, you may as well jump on her website, which is www.nicolereed.photography. Get in contact and book in a shoot today. Now let's get back to the podcast. So that's 2008. Yep. Uh, how many, had you had many acting gigs uh, after that before you started stand-up in 2010? I did a lot of, um, a lot of sort of devised theatre, mm-hmm. <laughs> which if you listeners haven't turned off already, maybe this will make them turn off. <laughs> um, it's kind of like... So it's not plays or anything like that. It's not TV. It is almost conceptual theatre. It can, you know, dip into performance art, 
sometimes. And then sometimes it is just creating new works of theatre mm. that aren't necessarily – they don't necessarily have a script. They're halfway between physical theatre, like dance-based stuff and they're much more kind of conceptual okay. stuff. So I did a lot of that and then um, – Is this just in front of very small crowds in very, <laughs> very small theatres? Unbelievably small, <laughs> small crowds. Good way to cut your teeth, though. Yeah. Well, there was kind of – there was kind of a bit of a movement in Sydney at the time, this kind of fraternity of – that fresh young theatre, we'd realised that theatre, you know, no one was going to see theatre. Mm. It was all white-headed subscribers at STC who had far too much money paying far too much okay. ticket for, for a ticket to a play that was written 500 years ago <laughs> and acted, you know, and the balls were acted off it and the sets were incredible and it was all very lovely but it felt like the Emperor's New Clothes where mm. everyone was going, oh, beautiful, great, yeah, yeah. fabulous stuff and there was a young kind of, Upsurgence of like, he's fucking naked. Yeah. What, what is this? Why are we, what's going on? What is this art form becoming? And how can we kind of inject something new into it? And yeah. so, you know, we were probably doing exactly what every generation of yeah. new kind of acting school graduate has ever done before. But um, it was really nice to kind of build a community and feel yeah. like you were being creative and, yeah. and creating stuff that was, you know, current and yeah. pertinent to our lives and and the lives of hopefully the people we were connected with, we thought. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. The, thro- the three people that were coming <laughs> to the shows. <laughs> so when when did stand-up become an interest? Was there much crossover there? Were you meeting other people that maybe did both? Not To be honest, not really. I never in a million years thought I'd do stand-up. I, um, when I, you know, did acting, I always was sort of cast in the comedic roles mm-hmm. I was like, come on, guys, don't you see that I'm a very deeply serious kind of <laughs> dramatic actress? And then you kind of realise, don't, f- you know, just take the easier road, mate. Yeah. Maybe maybe there's something here. <laughs> and um, I was just telling, I was quite drunk, telling a story at a friend's barbecue and my friend said, you should do stand-up. And I was like, ah, okay, <laughs> sure. I'd seen, you know, the stand-up that we'd seen on TV as, yeah. as kids in the 80s and 90s. So, you know, you'd saw Robin Williams and Billy Connolly and mm. I grew up obviously, yeah, with my grandparents' influence with Lucille Ball and kind right. of those old sort of variety style mm. comedians. And then the the gala, Melbourne yeah. Comedy Festival gala, um, Jim Owen, those kind of people. But never in a million years did I think that I would do stand-up. Right. And this friend went – surreptitiously into the bedroom and signed me up for raw comedy. Really? Yeah. And she was like – and then I got an email a few days later that said, just confirming your participation. Right. And I was like, well, you only live once, mate. <laughs> yeah. Go on. Let's see what happens here. Yeah. Never, never thinking that it would go anywhere. And it, I, I went way over time mm. in my heat and I didn't get through. Because you had quite a large choreographed dance that you'd planned. Funny you should mention, I think there was a choreographed dance in there. And then I, so I didn't get through and then I got a wild card through to the state final and I thought, oh, well, I won't cut anything out of the bit. I'll just do it quicker. It turns out um, that didn't cut any time out of it at all. And so I went over time as well and got disqualified. But the right kind of people saw it and so I kept getting booked at the comedy store and I did another competition in Sydney called Quest, Quest for the, the Best. Best. I was just about to mention that. You know, I was there. The night that you night? Won. Yeah. You weren't competing though. No. No. No, I was there watching a friend from Canberra. I was, oh. I was still living in Canberra at the time called M.O. Parsonson, a good good friend of mine. Yeah. And I went up with him just to 
go and watch him and support him on the oh. night. And yeah, it was that night you won. Yeah. 2010, is it? 2010, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I did sort of, I think I did the raw, the raw gig in 2010 at yeah. the beginning. It's like yeah. February or something. And then, um, and then I did a couple with Quest for the Best and then I went overseas and I, I went to this, I did a course in Paris. Yeah. A clowning school thing, which I, again was like theatrical. So I thought this is what I'll do. Is this the, the famous Paris? Golier, yeah. Did you do that? Yeah, you kind of want to keep it on the down low now in the, <laughs> in the stand-ups. Well, how long does it? How long Zoe Kuzma's ruined it. <laughs> Zoe Kuzma, very different. How long did you say? Were you there for? Yeah. Oh, I did the clown. Uh, the Lejeune is means the game, so it's mm. just like the basis of his teaching, and then a clown and Buffon. But we did it, it just in summer school, so yeah. it was like six, two months, six weeks. Right. I can't remember now. Yeah. How good? Are Three the, months. How good? No, is I don't know now. Patisseries in France, mate. As you know, I am gluten free. Oh. And so. So you knew you knew by then. I, I knew. I very recently diagnosed. Oh no. Yep. But. How good there are is, the – How good are the salads? But there's a weekend in every young woman – is a weekend in every young celiac's journey in a summer in Paris where she takes a weekend off mm. and hits those patisseries pretty hard <laughs> and just clears the calendar for a few days yeah, afterwards right. because you're only there once. Gouliac and white. So good. Oh, a baguette, a fresh baguette. I mean, just everything. Every, uh, everything I tried over there – was gold. They know I don't know what do they're it. doing. They're doing something right. It's a lot of butter, I think. <laughs> With your stand-up, once you started and you got into it, did you find having the acting background and being – you'd been in front of people before. I know when I started, yeah. I'd never done any sort of – Yeah. It was absolutely terrifying and it took a while to get – good few years to get used just to performing. Yeah. Uh, did you find it was a bit easier? Um, It definitely – like – Again, I feel like I, I played a character. I, mm. I still kind of play a bit of a character when yeah. you're up there, which is an exaggeration of yourself. So it's not, it's not inauthentic. It's just you know a bit bigger than what you are. And when I first started, people were talking about stage time. You got to get your stage time up, stage time, and and I it was just a concept that I didn't really understand because and I and I just completely underestimated how lucky I was that I had had that foundation in yeah. in theatre and particularly like, you know, exactly that, the kind of theatre that I was doing was so risk mm, risky yeah. and risk-taking and, yeah. you know, sometimes you would break the fourth wall, mm. <laughs> which is that, <laughs> that, that theatrical term of like talking to the audience. And yeah. so there had been moments that I'd already had the chance to do that stuff mm. and and I just didn't even realise how much of a difference that mm. made because I was still in my head going, I'm not a stand-up, I can't do stand-up, I don't even yeah. know what to do, how do I do stand-up? Yeah. But then when I came to do stand-up, it was definitely, I was doing a monologue. You know, yeah, you, know, you yeah. see those comedians who are starting out who are actors mm. and you just go, oh, you've not factored yeah. in that this is a live event where people see will laugh. Raw and, quite a bit. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's and they're in a way they're quite polished mm. and they're quite comfortable. Yeah, which is half the battle is mm. being physically kind of comfortable Calm, for a, yeah, for a right. new comedian. Yeah, um, but that really kind of disassociative feeling you have yeah. that they're just really 
performing for humans who aren't real yeah. humans or yeah. something. Um, it's the same performance they put in an hour earlier in the bedroom. Yes. In front of the mirror. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's really kind of – there's no authenticity. No. You, you kind of can't pierce the mm. facade mm. or something. Even though they're talking to you, you're just like, I don't believe anything you say. Yeah. And so I'm sure that when I first started out, that was what audiences were feeling. Yeah. Did you – often a comedian – yeah, and people say, imagine the crowd is naked or imagine this. Did you imagine that the crowd was a group of elderly ladies in a pool when you <laughs> did your first gig? I, d- I don't think consciously, but I think definitely <laughs> there was a feeling of that in there somewhere. Also a minimum, I think for the first two years I had a minimum two vodka rule. Really? Yeah, two vodkas <laughs> before I went on stage. Yeah, I was nice. petrified. Knocked that edge right off. Yeah, <laughs> having a great time now. <laughs> What would have happened though if do you, you don't do that anymore, obviously? No. What, what would have happened though if, if you first time you don't take the t- have the two vodkas and it just goes horribly wrong? Would you have just now be. Yeah, I could have really painted myself into a corner. Yeah. Um, but you just weaned yourself off. Yeah, I think I just started. I think it was probably like around a um, Adelaide Fringe. Mm-hmm. I went down with a theatre show actually, the first time I went down and got up and did a few gigs here and there. But with, um, you know, any festival, any arts sort of festival, comedians are sort of running around doing line-up shows and late-night gigs. And Mm. so as we spoke about earlier today, you can kind of line up four or five or ten of those gigs in a night Mm. and just do five minutes, race to the next place, do five minutes. And so I think I just – didn't have time for the vodkas. <laughs> if you did, you would have been fairly smashed by the time. Absolutely, you got to you. yeah. And I don't think I even started the night with vodkas because I just had to race around <laughs> and do it all. So yeah. I was just like, "Oh, this is you. This is in your head. Yeah. You can do this." Yeah, nice. I think that's how. And then when you do an hour show, you need all your faculties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> when you're running that in. Uh, so when did you do your first festivals? And you've obviously done a lot of festivals since. You're a regular. I done Melbourne the last couple of years. Uh, I've done Melbourne since 2012. Yeah. So, but not every year. Mm. So, I've done six solo shows, I think. Yeah. One of those was a kids' show. And do you like the festival side of stand up comedy? The, the yeah. Putting together a year, you know, a, a full 50 to, to an hour show. Well, I kind of, I really like that you're able to take again. Act as wank, but take an audience on a journey in an hour. Mm. You know, it is really nice to be able to yeah. kind of reveal a bit more of yourself and go a bit deeper with stories and concepts mm. and stuff that you can't always pull off in five to ten or twenty minutes. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I really love constructing a show. It's a bit of a, as we all know, a love and a hate because mm. that hour can be so elusive and bumpy and yeah. difficult and um really kind of you know takes a lot of energy to craft, but. Yeah. I really like the framework of doing an hour. Mm. I'm guessing your the background you've had too, all those little things like the acting, the gouliere, the the instructing with the, the elderly ladies. Yeah, that, that, that was always an hour class. So that's yeah, setting up. that would all help. You know, when you're trying yeah. to piece, yeah, just to have a few different elements to draw on. Yeah, I don't think I've ever show together where I just have, you know, I stand there with the mic and talk for fifty to an hour. At least you can break into a choreograph dance at some point or, <laughs> or uh, yeah, do a bit of clowning, pop some, yeah. white, gloves, is that the, pop some white gloves on, I assume. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, you get – Mime. 
People turn you pretty quick when you pull out the mime gloves. Yeah? Yeah. yeah. Have you done it? I've never – well, I've only done it as a piss take really. But if you ever – Goliath is a mime and movement school is what it's called. Right, but yeah. It sounds quite intensive over there. It sounds like mm. all reports he can be very nasty uh, but, yes. with the, but with the end goal helping you. Yeah. He's got an incredibly unique teaching style. Mm. He's got – if if you don't know who he is um, – He's got he's pushing eighty now, and he's a old French man, quite short. He sort of sits slumped in his chair. He has these red round glasses, rimmed red rimmed round glasses that he peeks over the rim of, just disgusted at every everything in front of him. And he has a drum, um, just a round thin drum that he bangs when he's just so sick of you. And it really only <laughs> takes seconds before he's sick of what you're doing. And he teaches in a style where he insults you. So it's sort of like um, negative reinforcement. Mm, right. <laughs> where he – I guess the ultimate aim is to strip away all, all of the stuff that I was talking about mm. that an actor has, all of that facade and, and pretense and really get to the authenticity and the truth of the – dysfunctional human mm. underneath all of that because that's where the comedy is and that's where the fun is. Yeah. And he he really is a genius. He's a tyrant and a tormentor, but he's a true genius. There's a the um Sasha Baron Cohen studied with him and Emma Thompson and I mean just so many incredible right. people. And once you know who studied with him, you, you do kind of see like a a, a give no fucks kind of ah, right, vibe yeah. with yeah. those people. Yeah. And I don't know if that's because that's the kind of person that's going to study with mm. him or if it is something that he's teaching and it's going in. Um, and at the time it's hell. It's hell. You just think, how have I spent my entire life savings flying to the <laughs> other side of the world to get abused by this wizened old you know, asshole? <laughs> but then in the aftercook you're like, oh, he's an absolute genius and I, I genuinely do see myself and the world and and performance in through a very different framework but um, this foreword at the beginning of his book was written by Sasha Baron Cohen and it says, and I'm totally going to get it wrong paraphrasing, but says something like still the proudest moment of my life was after I'd studied with Philippe, Philippe Gaulier for six months and um, I did something in a, after, a, you know, a matter of seconds or maybe minutes if he was lucky. Uh, Gaulier beat the drum and then turned to the rest of the class and said the – Okay, Sasha was not totally shit today, no? After six months. It was like the first time that he ever actually even got to get words out of his mouth in front of Philippe before he'd beat the drum and said, I hate you, get off. Yeah. And it was very similar. Like the first day I showed up, you know, he said, okay, you five people on the stage, make me laugh. And so like there's a room full of people who all speak different languages and they're from different countries <laughs> and they have different senses of humour and and you don't know anyone and – um, you have spent your entire life savings to go across the world and I thought it would just be kind of like, you know, clowny kind of characters in mm. theatre but you're issued with a red nose yeah. on day one and I thought this is – what the fuck have <laughs> I signed up for? And um, five people got up and and one lady from New York and I sort of – she kind of started doing this thing and then I did it with her and then we were sort of having this thing and he said, look, you – 
played the drum and he said, these two women, uh, you think, uh, so funny, so intelligent. I went to crack, crack, boom, boom with both of them all the time because they are genius. Oh, you think, okay, uh, if I invite all of the uh, addict sexual from the area, the Frenchmen, <laughs> we bring them in, uh, these women do what they have done. All of these men totally cured. Never touch a woman again. <laughs> because what you have done is so horrible. You sit down and stop wasting my time. <laughs> this is Taiwan. <laughs> Literally, Taiwan. Uh, I've just been told that I'm so repulsively yeah. stupid. Well, yeah, no wonder you had a little uh, patisserie blowout there. Even though oh, babe. Diagnosed yeah. gluten-free. Oh, cried into my croissants <laughs> that day. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, so you... The last few years, you've been doing your festivals. Um, yeah. Also, keeping your acting uh, chops up. Yeah. Um, you did uh, Peter Hellier's How to Stay Married. Yeah. On Channel 10. Yeah. Uh, and that could be coming back for another season. We perhaps. have everything crossed. Yeah. Fingers yeah. crossed. Yeah. How was that experience doing it? Was that your first sort of full uh, a series where you were a recurring actor? On, on TV, yeah. 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 yeah, it was. And it was like, it was so great. Mm. It was really – I was probably the most annoying, annoyingly buoyant person on set <laughs> who would just like five o'clock in the morning, morning everybody, yeah. how are we all feeling? Because it was really like uh, – I think I was, I was just really lucky in that moment that I – you know, it's always really easy to compare your career to someone else or think, oh, yeah, I got this but I just really want that other thing. That's mm. a – you know, that carrot dangling a bit far in front of you and – I just had a moment where I went, shut up, idiot. Sit here. Be in this moment. Yeah, yeah. Because this, like 10 years ago, Nikki, five years ago, Nikki, one year ago, Nikki, yeah. would have given anything. Yeah. So just like, just find the contentment. Yeah. And like, I would have been so annoying <laughs> because I was finding the contentment all the time. But it really was like, you know, one of those few times in your life where you go, oh, this is my dreams coming true yeah. right now. This is yeah. so great. And just surrounded by honestly, with the best right. people, the most incredible cinematographers and costume and producers and, mm. and, and Pete, you know, he wrote a really interesting character in Marlowe yeah. and she's complex and she's flawed and she's full of love and I just love her and, yeah, it, I mean, just everyone on set was mm. incredibly generous. And mm. Did you, when you were on set at any point, did you think about that Diet Gouliere when he just absolutely... <laughs> I didn't, I didn't consciously think of it, but I, that's definitely planted a seed that I should, if we get a second season, yeah. day one, I'm going to think of that. This it's funny, like I, I've done that in the past where I think it's a real performer thing. You you look at what other people are getting or what mm. other people are doing and it can really mess with you yeah. and where you you need to be focused on. Um, yeah. It's certainly much better at now just running. You got really have to just run your own race. It's your you own mean? race, isn't it? Yeah. The and number of times I've, have to remind myself of that. Mm, yeah. It's, yeah. If I, I see that you just speak to younger comic. I'm, you know, I'm not uh, a veteran by any stage. I've been doing it for 10 years. But you speak to people that have been doing it for three or four and, oh, how do you get that or how would she, yeah. why, you know, you can't, you just can't worry about it. Like, yeah. You just need to, your time, will, you keep working hard, something will happen Yeah, eventually. absolutely. And, and Josh Earl says a great thing. Do the work, celebrate the wins. Yeah. Like that's his mantra. Yeah. And it's absolutely true, you know, like don't look sideways, don't look at what everyone else is doing or the opportunities and if you do, like, you know, I've had some setbacks in my career that 
I don't know actually how I got through them mm, yeah. <laughs> in many ways, you know, because it was a proper like deep rejection right. of like absolutely not, no, not mm. you. And like Golia seems farcical when I look back on that compared to these other setbacks. And it it really is just like don't look sideways, do the work, celebrate the wins. Mm. And so, yeah, How to Say Married was a big win and I yeah. think – I think celebrating those wins, like, you know, being on the gala or stuff like that. Yeah, I was about to say, then you had another one. Yeah. Uh, You had the acting win, then you had the stand-up win uh, earlier this year, 2019, in March, did this Melbourne International Comedy Festival gala for the first time. Yeah. Which for a stand-up is kind of like a little little milestone to tick off if you can ever get that. Um, Yeah, I think that's a real one where you can really mm. just – Put the kettle on because you've done a good day's work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's not many moments in yeah. this career where you get to just rest and go, no, nah, I'm proud of myself today. Yeah. But that's definitely one. And, um, yeah, it was like like we said, it's, it's, it is that benchmark of comedy in this country mm. that we grew up watching and dreaming about. And, you know, those people, if you were comedically minded in any way, were just, just superheroes mm. and just, yeah, it, it was – it was incredible and I remember everyone, you know, everyone said you you won't remember your first one, you will not remember your yeah, first gala, yeah, like yeah. it'll all go in a in a blur. And then um I said, No, I'm gonna I'm gonna remember this. Yeah. <laughs> I am gonna remember this. I'm gonna remember like I remember standing at the side of the stage, feel your feet on the ground and feel every step you take yeah. onto the stage and just remember it. And Tom Gleason was MC and he said, you know, please welcome to the stage, Nikki Britton. And I heard my name echo through the Palais Theatre. And I remember it so clearly. And then I remember walking off the stage (laughs) (laughs) and I have no idea what happened in the interim. And then I remember running downstairs with you to do a little Lux fan. We were on one after the other. I was on straight after you and you walked past me as I was – Going through those same thoughts you were having just before walking on, yeah, and your face was—you were just like buzzing, yeah—and then we we're both buzzing down yeah. in the uh, gallows doing Oxfam, yeah. Ads. Um, but yeah, I must admit, like the second time, I, I uh, first time was the same. Don't remember, yeah, a thing. You're just trying to get through it, remember everything. Yeah. Second time though, it was a bit more in the moment, and um, so remember that for next time. That's good. Get in that moment. Yeah. Do you think the ladies from your acroaerobics classes would have seen you? On the gala, with, kept, with, on, kept an eye on your well, career? with absolute, with enormous respect and kindness and love for those women. <clears throat> I see where you go. I was teaching them about fifteen years ago. <laughs> As I said, it, I was they, like, oh shit, hang on. When was that? And they were they were not in their spring chicken years. Mm. Look, it would it would make me so happy <laughs> to think that they were. Wherever they were tuning in and watching that and yeah. going, hang on. Yeah. I've seen that bloody flash before somewhere. <laughs> there she is. There's the grandma. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, yeah, that would be so lovely. But um, no one's got in touch to no. mention it. <laughs> <laughs> so well, they wouldn't have email probably. They might have sent no. you a letter. There might be a letter in the mail. Yeah, true. Um, mum is currently, you've told me this on this tour, your mum's currently in the States, Chicago, in Chicago. at a Stargate Star International Stargate Conference. Yeah. If you're wondering, I remember yes, Stargate. It is the TV show, <laughs> which was kind of like not a, a NASA scientist. Yeah, it was like a Star Trek, but a more modern one. A more modern one, and yeah. Then, Fourteen seasons or something like it was. Yeah, you say MacGyver huge. was in it. Yep, Richard Dean Anderson. Who your mum calls RDA. <laughs> <laughs> I spoke to her earlier today. She said, "Oh yeah, I've been down the gift shop actually." 
She's staying in the hotel where the convention's being Great. held. Um, she's never been to America. She's never been anywhere in America. Never mm. wanted to go. So the very first place she's going is Chicago, which is great because I hear that Chicago is a great city. V- very little of which she will see because she will be <laughs> in the hotel at the Stargate conference. And um, I spoke to her and I said, oh, you know, what, what have you been doing? She said, well, I've been down the gift shop uh, and I've got a T-shirt and um, and something else and I've got a, a signed photo of RDA. So I'm happy. <laughs> I could come home now. I was like, did she get that off him or did she buy no, that? Not from him. Oh, I was no. like, you could have got it off the internet, Mum. This seems like a very, <laughs> very expensive mission to get a signed photo. Yeah. But she is she's having um a photo, like a personal photographic mm-hmm. experience one on one. moment. One yeah. on one with Michael Shanks, who is another actor. Shanksy. She really loves. Like she really yeah. you know, Mum's sixty six and has been divorced for twelve years. And it breaks my heart to think that maybe she hasn't had a little smooch in right. f- it possibly, you know, a good mm. good amount of those twelve years, and Michael Shanks, she she says things about Michael Shanks that make me very uncomfortable. <laughs> Look out, Michael Shanks. Well, exactly. hopefully, while she's over there, she might meet a gentleman that's come from some part of the world. I will be so to thrilled. Chicago. Yeah, you know, and then that would be so nice. Both have an RDA love. Uh, yeah, share, watch watch the series again together. I mean, that would. It would that would be just so lovely. That'd mm. be a really, really lovely little mm. story. Well, this could be the, the story for your festival show next year. <gasps> How your mum found love in Chicago. That would be oh my gosh, I'm really <laughs> gonna encourage you now because I need a big ending. <laughs> stay, I need a big stay finish. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, there is also always the possibility that you, you, you finish it with your own love story, but that seems <laughs> far less likely, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> Not after this, this podcast. Oh, there well. You, hey? They'll be lining up. They'll be lining up. Well, Nikki, thanks very much for taking it easy with me today. Um, I'll plug all your all your socials and everything post-show, so we'll sort that out. But, yeah, all the best. Hope that uh, the next series gets up and um, we've got one more night of this tour. It's been really fun. But, uh, yeah, thanks very much for taking it easy with me today. Thank you so much, mate. It will take me half an hour to put on the amount of clothing I need to walk out the door into <laughs> orange air again. <laughs> Cheers. Hey, thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow Nikki, she is on Instagram under the Nikki Britton. That's N-I-K-K-I-B-R-I-T-T-O-N. And she's also on Facebook, Nikki Britton Comedian. If you enjoyed this podcast, please tell your friends. I'd be much appreciated. Spread the word. They can listen and subscribe on iTunes or the new Apple Podcasts, uh, or you can listen on Spotify and or my website, which is danielconnell.com.au. While you're there, you might as well join my mailing list, uh, find out what I'm up to. Uh, You can also check out my gigs page to see what live shows I've got coming up. Um, While you're at it, you might as well follow me on Instagram and or Facebook. And that is under Daniel Connell Comedy. Give those a like or a follow. They'd be much appreciated. That is it. Thanks very much and take it easy.